as you open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, I'd like to make two preliminary remarks before the message this morning in our continuing messages on 2 Timothy 3.16, as we come to that first phrase. The first one I want to make is is that the translation that you have in the ESV is teaching. Some translations have doctrine in terms of the first term we'll be looking at. In this particular situation, in terms of the Greek, both have their definite credibility. So I am going to use the phrase in the message this morning, doctrinal teaching. doctrinal teaching, just to give you a heads up as to where I'm going. Second comment I want to make is, I would say this is true of every message that I place before you each Lord's Day, is the self-examination by the text, by the message that is delivered. This morning, I think this will be especially true for you to think consciously of where you are in terms of the discussion that is going to be brought before you because it's very important. One of the things that I like to do, one of the things that has been very important uh, in, I think, my life with respect to biblical Christian religion is that I want to always find out What is in me that is still non-Christian? What has influenced my own thinking that is still non-Christian? And I want to try to get rid of that and come to more conformity to what the scripture is saying you may want to keep that in mind this morning as we proceed. Please listen to the gospel from Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. If you would now turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, if you would, 
Once again, over to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, thou hast given us a word without error. Instruct us, teach us, enable our hearts to embrace the truth of that word. Help us to look within ourselves to try in every way by the direction of thy spirit to see the clarity, the sanctity, and the truth in the manner that thy word has been communicated to us. We ask, O Lord, purify our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. Is it doctrinal teaching or is it life? Is it doctrinal teaching or is it life? You decide. Here is a traditional passage concerning doctrinal teaching. Ephesians 1.7 In him you have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Is it doctrinal teaching or is that passage life? You may want to go over to Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good building up that it, may, that it may give peace, or grace, excuse me, to the hearers. Is it doctrinal teaching, or is it life? Congregation and observation can be made that in the history of the church, a pendulum swings back and forth from emphasizing doctrine to emphasizing the practical and vice versa. For example, it has been said that the Reformation was a theological reformation. The reformers attacked, the reformers corrected the false doctrines that were found within Roman Catholicism. As Protestants were liberated from Roman Catholic doctrine, many Protestants came to the conclusion that the decisions, the battles over doctrine were no longer crucial anymore to the church. 
Rather, Protestantism needed a more practical expression for her faith. In that pendulum swing, there was the movement to get away from creeds and reform confessions and then to go more towards the practical aspect of Christianity. The banner cry of that movement, often towards practical theology, was back to the Bible in pious language to get away from the confessions of the church. You even hear that to this day. So the pendulum began to swing from an emphasis upon theological doctrine to an emphasis upon a godly practical life as evidence of the Christian faith. When this pendulum swing occurs in the church, battle lines are usually drawn. The people on the practical side say that the doctrinal side does not emphasize the practical outworking of biblical Christianity enough. These are those who emphasize practical theology. And you have that even in the divisions of seminaries. You have the practical theology departments. Whereas the people on the doctrinal side say that the practical side does not emphasize theological doctrine enough. And these people usually in the arena of theology are on the systematic theology side. That's why I said to you earlier, be thinking here. Be thinking here. Even more apparent, each side will defend itself against the other's criticism. The doctrinal side will say that they emphasize enough of the practical, but not at the expense of surrendering the truths of doctrinal orthodoxy. Whereas the practical side will say that they emphasize enough of the doctrinal that is sufficient for the believer to go to heaven as they focus upon the practical growth of living the Christian faith. You see, and we are living in an age right now in which the practical side is the strongest side in the discussion. People go to church where they can get what they feel good about. Well, there's a third group that needs mention. As the pendulum swings from the doctrinal side to the practical, from the practical to the doctrinal teaching in the history of the church, there is also those who maintain that the Christian life must be a balance, must be a balance between doctrine on the one hand and practice on the other hand. That there is no biblical basis to emphasize the one at the expense of the other. The Christian life is a balanced life, a balanced life between doctrine and life. In fact, we do not, do we not find this balance even in our text? 
Scripture, 316 of 2 Timothy, Scripture is profitable for doctrinal teaching. There you have it, the doctrine side. Then comes for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. There you have it, the practical side. Isn't 2 Timothy 3.16 proof between the balance of the doctrinal and the practical? Really? Really? Let's be clear. The supernatural religion revealed in Bible is not concerned with emphasizing doctrinal teaching over against the practical in terms of that pendulum. Nor is it concerned with emphasizing the practical over against doctrinal teaching. I assume that there would be little argument from anyone in this congregation concerning this particular observation. However, however, and this may confuse you and even surprise you, nor is the supernatural religion revealed in the scripture concerned about, about teaching the balance between the doctrinal and the practical, if you mean by balance that the doctrinal is on one hand and the practical is on the other hand. Let me illustrate my point by referring to a balance scale. Hopefully all of you know what I'm talking about. You've seen the balance scale put on one side and you put it on the other side you make sure it's even and so forth in terms of the doctrinal and the practical in this case. Please visualize this with me. On one scale, separate and isolated, you have the doctrinal statements in scripture. For example, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1.7. That's on the one side of the balance scale. On the other scale, separate and isolated, you have the practical statements in Scripture. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good building up, that it may give grace to the hearers. Ephesians 4.29. There. Now I have the balance between them. I have the doctrinal side of this balance. I have the practical side on the balance. Everything is even. In fact, it is a current and most prolific and of understanding of the book of Ephesians in this way. You may have heard it if you've ever studied the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, is doctrinal. Most of the verbs in that section are written, are written in the indicative mood. 
meeting the statement of grace, what we have in grace in union with Christ. In chapters 4 through 6, it is often said to be the practical side. It is the side where the most of the verbs are written in the imperative. That is commanding, commanding us, exhorting us in terms of our obedience unto the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a very, very common understanding of the book of Ephesians. Now, (laughs) for those who stress the balanced approach, the issue here is to maintain the equilibrium between doctrine and practice in the biblical text. That is to hold an equal balance of weight between doctrinal teaching and practice in biblical revelation. Historically, historically, the imagery of the balance scale is how many Christians have visualized their relationship of doctrine and life. Perhaps this imagery closely represents your own thoughts that are here this morning. I must have this balance, like a balance scale, doctrinal on one hand, the practical aspects of Christianity on the other. However, is this particular picture of balance truly biblical? what I want to ask you this morning. Are you willing to investigate your own hearts this morning? I think that the picture of balance that the Bible presents, and notice I did say balance, is not a picture of balance which is visualized by using the imagery of a balanced scale. But we will need a different picture, different picture of balance to be truly biblical. We must think about this question. What about the subtle external influences of the secular world, which goes unchecked out of our own ignorance and yet without question find their way into our thinking, which we place ourselves upon God's word. Please stay with me as I attempt to map this out clearly for you. Let me return to the pendulum and then come back to the issue of balance. Let me present my analysis up front. The distinction or isolation uh, between doctrinal teaching and practice. The distinction or isolation between theory and application is Greek. Is Greek. 
and the church is infected with it without even knowing. Christians who emphasize doctrine over against practice. This goes back to the Greeks. Among some of the Greeks, everything lies in the realm of the intellect, theory, teaching, doctrine serves intellectual superiority, an elite intellectual class. Think of, wow, man, my child went to an Ivy League school. Where did your child go to? And Christians even get infected with that. For such Greeks, the faculty of reason, my mind, mediates all truth. And hence the moral life serves intellectual rationality and rigor. This position comes very influential when you're reading the New Testament, believe it or not, concerning rabbinical Judaism at the time of Christ. They stressed the intellect, the right doctrine at the expense of the practical life. It is this problem that stands behind our own Savior's own words. Are these are your Savior's own words on your heart this morning? Listen carefully. Not the hearers of the word, but the doers of the word. an attack by Jesus upon intellectual religion and thought. Next, Christians who emphasize the practice over against doctrine, this also goes back to the Greeks. Among many in ancient Greek culture, there was an emphasis for a person to develop one's practical moral life, talents, and potentialities. Any teaching on theory must be used to serve Greek moral virtue and how those virtues serves one's practical life within Greek culture and society. Why do so many parents love Sunday school? Why, when you do, if you have done, and I know you have, when you do vacation Bible school, why do you invite those who are non-Christians to come? Then if you do your follow-up and go into their homes and you talk to the parents, what do you find? What do you find? Why don't you come to church? What do they always say? I want my child to go to Bible school so they'll learn something to be a moral good person. Oh, Christianity. When you get to be an adult, it doesn't mean anything anymore. But it's good for the children to have virtues. It's the same thing 
in terms of our Sunday schools. It's just not to give them moral virtues in terms of the biblical stories. It is to give them the gospel. 2 Timothy 3.15. Now, <laughs> we got one more side to do. How about those who emphasize the balance between doctrine and practice? They need to understand that this particular viewpoint goes back to the Greeks as well. That might be even surprising to you. Aristotle's view of what he called the golden mean has had a profound influence on all of us. All of us. You may even be saying this morning, I never heard of Aristotle. (laughs) And I'd say, good for you. (laughs) But it has had a profound influence on all of us. Here is Aristotle told us that the true moral life does not emphasize theory at the expense of the practical, nor does it emphasize the practical at the expense of theory. The true moral life is a golden mean, a golden mean between theory and practice. It is living the balanced life of theory and practice. Everybody here this morning has comprehended Aristotle's point. For example, there is the theoretical classroom. I assume everyone here this morning has gone to school. The classroom, all the curriculums in terms of the design of the classroom, the classical kind of understanding how the classroom is organized is Greek is Greek. You go into the classroom to learn theory, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a salesperson, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a welder, whether you're a cook. And then there's the practical application of your profession. I really do not learn the theory until I actually, actually apply the principles learned in the classroom and turn into my life. Now, there's a certain amount of truth to this, isn't there? Of course, we all have gone through this. (laughs) The mechanic cannot fix my carburetor by learning it in the classroom. He has to actually apply the principles learned in the classroom to fix my car. But here comes the problem. We have a tendency to separate, isolate, divide into neat, logical, distinct categories of aspects of theory and the aspects of practice 
so that everything has its own little separate place. Aristotle told us that we need to hold these things in balance, staying away. Now listen, staying away from what? Listen, see if this does not resonate to you right now. Staying away from the extreme on the doctrinal side, nor the extreme on the practical side. Are you seeing how much Aristotle has shaped your everyday thinking? Are you willing to examine your own daily thought on the golden mean of Aristotle? You hear it every single day. When someone does not seem to be living the golden mean, to use Aristotle's words, that is the key term for applying the golden mean today is clearly seen by the term bipartisan. When a person uses that term, they mean that the political bipartisan position that they are suggesting is balanced and the rational position of common sense for them. Hence, if you reject their balanced and rational position of the golden mean, then you will receive what label? What label? What label are we out there to the world? We here gathered this morning are all understood by the world outside of us. We know the label. We're a bunch of extremists. We're a bunch of extremists. You see, that's exactly what we are. And so what happens is we are the label, we label someone extreme to the left or extreme to the right. To repeat such a person who is seen as an extremist, is not balanced. You're not rational. One news network claims Aristotle's motif to the T, to the T of the golden mean. Their whole mantra is what? Fair and balanced. Other news networks claim the high ground of being an advocate of bipartisanship. See what I'm talking about? We're all living this 24 7. Now, what happened to Christianity? Steeped in this Greek-Western tradition, 
clergy and the person in the pew receive this subtle, external, and yet secular influence in complete ignorance. I assume that not many here this morning know that this notion of the distinct balance between theory and practice came from non-Christian literature and thought. And yet Christians, even fine true Christians, organized biblical revelation into the compartments of theory, doctrine on one side, and practice life on the other side. Our whole theological seminaries is based on this distinction. All theological seminary education is set up as Greek. then we wonder why the church becomes secular. I saw it in my own seminary in the 70s. Westminster Seminary was always known as the intellectual seminary. But I sat in classes constantly in which the practical theology department fought and degraded systematic theology. The systematic theologians made fun of the practical theologians. In the biblical theology department, biblical theological department, New Testament and Old Testament departments, they critiqued them both. Said neither one can exegete. I sat four years under that. Congregation, you see, the problem is this. God did not write scripture under the influence of the Greek view of theory and practice or its golden mean expressed in Aristotle's balanced life. Congregation, if you come to Scripture with a preconceived idea that the content of the Bible is divided into doctrine and practice, then you are reading the Bible with the external eyes of the secular Greeks instead of the internal eyes of revelatory grace. You are bringing a secular construction and placing it upon Holy Scripture. But don't be discouraged. (laughs) You may be thinking that right now. Don't be discouraged because the Bible itself provides a way to clean up this Greek reading of God's most holy word. Here is what we must understand the Bible does not teach doctrine and life as two distinct aspects on a balance scale. Rather, the Bible teaches doctrine is. Doctrine 
is practical life. Now, I'm not the first person in the Reformed world to make this statement. However, in my studies, I have found that most of those who have made this statement fall back into emphasizing the practical or the doctrinal, if not to return to a distinct balance of the two. I have to be careful of this myself. Oh, church, for the sanctity, for the sanctity of the word of God, we must press forward to and be shaped and instructed by God's word with respect to these things. We must allow God's word to reshape us and to reconstruct our understanding. We must demand, as you look at yourself this morning, we must demand of ourselves that God's word is going to define the terms of how I read the Bible and how I live the Christian life. I'm not going to allow the Greeks to define my world. As I like to say, Aristotle is not going to define my world or the world of Jesus. Jesus is. Jesus is. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Look at the text. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is God-breathed. That is what? Profitable. Profitable. A real powerful Greek word there not used by the ESV is useful. For doctrinal teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, the essential character of biblical Christianity is practicality. It is usable. Scripture has a use. It is given in order to be used. We must say that it has the purpose of being usable for all of Christ's church. But its practical character is not practicality for practicality's sake. Its practicality has a design in God's sovereign providence. As we saw last week, The practicality of Scripture serves an end. That the people of God stand before their judge, Jesus Christ, acquitted by the works of Christ's Spirit within us. The passage of Scripture that we are dealing with here in 2 Timothy is Bracketed, remember, by 3-1 and 4-1. In 3-1, Paul places Timothy in the reality of the last days of salvation. That's where you are. Which comes to an end before the appearing of the king, kingdom of the judge, Christ Jesus, 4-1. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ gets us 
there. But we learn about God's will in Christ and in us through the Bible, a truly usable book to make us wise in Christ's redemption and equip us for every good work in his his name. You can say it in this way. Biblical revelation is in the business of giving us practical living doctrine, not doctrine and life. The indicative, our union with Christ and terms of our grace is the source. I have this on your outline so you can go over it, go over it, and think about it. Is the source of the imperative, the commands and obedience towards Christ. The imperative is grounded, is grounded in the indicative. The imperative flows out of the indicative. There is, I know this is a large term, but just think with me on this. There is an existential union between doctrine and life in the true Christian life. They are inseparable. And I am quoting our Savior on this in terms of a simple passage which you all know and understand. If you love, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. There it is. There's no way that a Christian can claim that they love Jesus and then not follow Jesus' commandments. Impossible in terms of the religion of the Bible. There is no way that you can follow the commandments of Christ without loving him. The two are inseparable and integrated. They are unified in the true Christian life. Back to the beginning. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Is that passage doctrine or life? No. No. It is practical living doctrine. You must live your life out of the cross of Jesus. And if you don't, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Going on. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good, building up, that it may give grace to the hearers. Doctrine or life? No. It is practical, living doctrine. This is how Christians live who love Jesus with one another. So congregation, that's how the scripture teaches us that doctrine is life. Doctrine is life. We all, including your pastor, need help. Let's pray for help to the spirit of the living God. Our Lord and our God, we ask that thy spirit would flow upon our hearts this morning in such a way that our minds, our hearts, our bodies would be enlightened unto the truth of how thy word communicates to us concerning life, life in Christ. How beautiful it is. How wonderful it is that we treasure everything in which is spoken in the word of God to build ourselves up so that we ourselves are equipped, equipped for the day of Christ's glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.